Greetings and salutations. This is Mac. This is Abigail. What up? This is Jen. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. And today we're talking season four, episode 16, Pleasure is My Business. This episode slops. Yes, it fucking does. And we're joined by a guest. Yes, we have a guest today. Hi. It's Jen. Yep. You you know Jen. You're aware of who Jen is at this point. Gentle <laughs> listener, you know. <laughs> you're you're hip with it. Uh, we're very excited to have you on this special episode with, I do declare, the hottest unsub ever to grace the screens of Criminal Minds. Yeah. You'd be correct. Yeah. Yeah. Hottest by far. But before we get all excited, uh, I've got... A fun fact for us. Yes. So do we remember on, um, I forget the name of the episode. I think it was season two, the episode where it's the brothers that are like hunting. Oh yeah. Open season. Open season. So I, I did a deep dive about how a bunch of people go have gone missing in Yosemite (laughs) National Park and I did say and I quote I will never go to Yosemite National Park well (laughs) guess what (laughs) guess where I'm going on vacation guys is it is it let me guess is it Yosemite National Park yes Yep. Uh we are going to visit our friends in California and we th- I didn't decide this but my husband and them decided that they sh- we should spend half the trip in San Fran as they say and the other half in Yosemite. And immediately I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. <laughs> Do you know how many people dearest husband have gone missing?" And he was like, "Yeah, but no group of four people has ever gone missing." And I was like, hmm. there's a first for everything. <laughs> yeah. So, if the podcast suddenly stops, that's why. Because <laughs> I've gone missing. Uh, so, yeah, I shared my location with Abigail. Uh, hopefully I don't die. And um, <laughs> that that's my fun fact. You'll come back and we'll do a Patreon special. And it'll be like, Mac, my brush with death. <laughs> putting it behind a paywall bitch yes <laughs> okay well i have one that's related then since we're talking about hiking in national parks because i'm going to utah in may and we're going to do the national parks in utah those are all desert so i feel like it's kind of hard to you know go missing in the middle of a desert uh but you know it, it's been done before i mean you could be killed <laughs> yeah oh for sure but yeah, I'm also not like uh, an outdoorsy hiker person, um, but we're doing it. So I am an outdoorsy hiking person. 
Um, uh, it's been a minute, but especially like during summer 2020, um, when the pandemic was like, when everyone was really like, you know, on, on lockdown before people started to reopen stuff. Uh, my friend and I were going on these really long hikes because it's like she lived alone. I had like one roommate at the time and we're like, you know what? We're going to do this. So we would go hiking like for hours and uh, there was one time where we accidentally hiked like 12 miles. What a nightmare. That sounds awful. <laughs> we didn't mean to go that long, but we did. And there was the other time where we uh, accidentally biked 30 miles. So I love I love hiking, but do not get me wrong. Every time we're out hiking and there's like a guy by himself on the trail, I'm like, hmm, okay. Get that pepper spray out. Is that the unsub? I know. I, it's, it's so bad because I hate to be that like white woman who's like, oh my God, am I going to get murdered? Like I listen to so much true crime, but I am like very much like I, it's like I, there are people, it happens. I don't want to be that like person who's like, you know, on Reddit being like, oh my gosh, everyone is a, like, I'm going to, but, um. Yeah, it, it's been a minute since I've been hiking, but it does cross my mind, like, every time I see, like, a person hiking by themselves. I'm like, either you're gonna die or you're gonna kill someone. I mean, okay, this is a fair thing to think about because, so there's a really popular state park um, that's not too far from where I live now. So lots and lots of people go to this state park and couples, like, during the COVID summer, it was really, really um, a lot busier than it usually is, which is saying a lot because it's like a really busy park. Um, and one of the days in that summer, there was a a shooter that just came there and like just was randomly shooting people. And um, my friend, her like aunt and uncle were there that day. And they're like, you know, now that we think about it, like there was this guy that was <laughs> like running past us and he was like not looking really happy so we're like you guys almost got murdered oh my god should oh i gotta share the rating criteria which i do. oh no to have jen do it jen has to do it because jen always says it better than we do too okay the rating criteria is as follows criminal slash serial killer character development slash character arcs forensics and context script writing and background characters there's five categories each category can score up to 20 points for a total of 100 which i i know i'm just a guest on this podcast but i think we're we're playing with 100 today guys i'm just saying i think we're in that territory um who wants to say we're in no way shape or form associated with criminal minds sounds like you just did there we go all right can i can i jump in yes please my first note for this is criminal minds said sex positive this episode opens with a blonde broad in boots a cowboy hat and a bra she's Entering a very lavish-looking room and strikes a, se- a sexy pose. She she grabs some champagne flutes from a table and starts over to a man. 
and he's there. Like, do, do you guys know that TikTok audio where it's like she's looking gorgeous and like he he's there? Um, because that's that's very much the vibe. Um, he's like an older white man, maybe in his like fifties. You know, because she's in the cowboy boots and the hat, she goes like struts up to him and says, "Giddy up," and he says, "Well, it's about time." She, you know, goes up to him and is like, I promise I will make it up to you. Now tell me what you want. So he whispers in her ear and she's like, I can do that. And so there's, you know, a little bit of kind of canoodling and he downs his drink. But I noticed she doesn't touch hers. And so she walks away looking kind of bored. And he's like, what are you doing? And she removes her hat and takes on her pigtails and he's getting up and just collapses. Her her cell phone rings and she picks it up and we hear her say, Hey lover, tonight? Yeah, I'm wide open. And she says wide open as she's watching this man who just drank her drink convulse on the floor. And we see her finish her drink and this fella is definitely dead now. I will point out that she has an accent in this opening scene, but not in the rest of the episode. Oh, you're right. (laughs) She has a Southern accent. She's like, oh, you want the usual? And then for the rest of the goddamn episode, no accent. She committed to the character. She got into the persona, yeah. We cut and now we see Hotch in his office and he's watching a recording of his son. You know, the son that his wife left with and they're no longer together because they're separated. This is, this, it might be important later. You know how criminal minds do. So he gets a call from a Patrick Jackson, the attorney general down in Texas. And Patrick Jackson is saying that this case he has, um, he, you know, would like Hotch to consult on. And Hotch is like, okay, sure, like, have it forwarded to JJ. But then Jackson's like, no, not your team, just you. Hotch is like, kind of like, why Why is this? And Jackson's like, you'll get briefed. And Hotch is like, um, okay, can you tell me anything about the case? Like, the unsub? And Jackson is like, it's not the unsub you need to be worried about. It's the lawyers. And I was like, you know what? Let's kill all the lawyers, like Shakespeare said. So Hotch zoomies down to Dallas, Texas and meets with Jackson and they talk about the victim. It was the man we saw in the opening and uh, it sounds like they're classifying this case as a suicide. But Hotch points out upon arrival in the hotel room that most men don't take Viagra right before they kill themselves. He also had a wife and kids and apparently... Every Wednesday, his name was Hoyt Ashford, he withdrew $10,000 from the bank in cash. So this lady that we saw at the beginning of the episode is what one could call a high-end call girl. Oh my god, can I just say I've never had 10 grand in my bank account ever, like ever. Imagine just being like, let me just like dispose of that as I wish all the time. <laughs> um, so apparently no one saw her leave the hotel, 
but they do think that this is the second incident that this has happened with this particular unsub. So Hotch is like, thanks, Jackson. I think I am going to call in my team. Um, and Jackson is like, well, the you know, the reason I called you in in the first place is that I have three judges and one state senator asking if I, you know, I'm even sure that I can have a case. And like, you know, when you type, when you poke around this type of woman and this type of lifestyle, people quote, get edgy and quote, call in favors. To which Hotch literally says, quote, I'm sorry, but the politics of this are your problem. And you know what? He's super right. Jackson walks Hosh over to the elevator and there's this uh, woman in the elevator who looks pretty familiar. And guess what, guys? It's her. And so she tries to make small talk with him while they're in the elevator, but Hotch doesn't really engage with her at all. We see her get off the elevator and while she's in the hallway, she unbuttons her shirt. It's very like Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. It's very hot. It's a great shot of her walking down the elevator doing this. But do you really think a woman who just like murdered someone and is like, they know that she's probably a call girl is going to be like stripping like that when anyone could just walk out into the hallway at any moment and see her? I mean, she's she's got confidence. She does. She's and got she's big, hot. big clit energy. Oh my God. <laughs> now we're on the BAU jet. Hey girl. And Reed is like, you know, female serial killers are fascinating. Female serial killers are a fascinating field. We don't have much information on them, but what we do know involves throwing the rules completely out the window. Signature, for instance. They don't torture or take trophies. Because there's no sexual gratification when a woman kills. Exactly. Murder is the goal. They don't have to do anything extra. So basically women are more efficient at killing. Historically, they've had body counts in the hundreds. So assuming that the job is the stressor, what are some of the reasons prostitutes kill their customers? Money, drugs, post-traumatic stress disorder. At some point, every call girl, no matter how well-paid, gets coerced into an activity she didn't consent to. Eileen Warnos used to purposefully stage paid sexual encounters as an excuse to murder men she thought would rape her. But Warnos was psychotic and disorganized. I, I think this girl is poisoning them before she has sex with them. Well, she's using tetramethylene disulfol tetramine. It's a popular rat poison in China, easily soluble in alcohol. Poison is the perfect MO. Quiet, quick, and the victims never see it coming because they think they're getting lucky. At some point, every call girl, no matter how well paid, gets coerced into an activity she didn't consent to. And I'm like, why is no one, like, just immediately being, like, self-defense? Like, why are they being like, oh, you know, it's money or drugs? Sorry? I was like, God, I'm tired. God, I did not mean to pop off. But it's, like, it's one of those things where people are forced into sex work and i'm not saying forced in like a sex trafficking way i'm saying forced because our economy is so shit that like and no one is going to willy-nilly murder someone and risk incarceration when they're doing sex work just so that they can eat you know yeah, and, and to, like, to even step back farther than that, like, while we're talking about, like, financial gain, have we had a single unsub on this show in four seasons murder people, specifically multiple people, for financial gain? I don't think we have. No, I don't think so. Right? Like, we, we haven't had it. So, like, it's just crazy to me. And, like, if it was a man, they would be like, oh, let's let's 
go to the typology, but it, you know, I bet you there there's a paper written by someone, a, an old white man out there somewhere about this, and everyone's using this because that's what they do. Yeah, I also don't get like they know the types of clients that she's seeing kind of already. I don't get how that isn't automatically like there's something about these clients. Like that would be so obvious to me. Like, I don't know. I don't know why they're like looking at her rather than looking at the clients because they always do that. They always go to victimology first if they don't know where to start. Why is it different this time when it has like, she has a very clear victimology. That's why, the, that's why it's like, I love this episode, but this scene just pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, but I think you can apply it to any female serial killer that we deal with. They always have a moment where they're like, it's a woman, and reads like, throw the books out the window. We have to start from scratch because we don't understand how women think. Female serial killers are a fascinating field. We don't have much information on them, but what we do know involves throwing the rules completely out the window. Both of the victims who have passed now were in their 50s, highly visible and very careful about their image. Additionally, the BAU is facing the corporate culture, and that corporate culture will do everything to keep them out. What is frustrating is that the hedge fund that Hoyt worked for has already released a statement saying that he died in his home peacefully. And Reed points out that there was a similar statement issued with the other dude's death, so I wrote, hmm, sus. So we cut and we see our lady killer in a robe, and it's uh, a bedroom, and we see a man slumped into the bed, and at first I was like, Another one bites dust. But it's, it's again, it's just a client who's asleep. And so, you know, criminal minds just faking you out like they do. Um, and so she, like, walks up to him and is like, you should wake up. And if you get up now, you can still take your kids to school. So we see her, uh, as he's getting ready, we see her sit in front of a laptop and search Hotchner plus FBI and she looks at all this stuff about Hotch and watches a press statement that he made. Uh, unsubs be Googling? Unsubs be browsing. Also, I think that this scene illustrates that she's not killing every single one of her clients. And it also gives you a sneak peek as to which why she kills some clients and not the others because of what she says to this guy. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. Look at us. We're all so smart. I know. Isn't it crazy? Now it turns out that the lawyers are kind of ghosting JJ and Hotch. Because he was like, I'm supposed to meet with them at like 2, it's like 2.30 or something. So he's standing in the middle of, I guess it's a hotel. Um, and a lady shows up. She was the consultant for the press statements that were written, but she's not the actual lawyer. Hosh and her talk some of the legal stuff and basically there's going to be a lot of bureaucracy bullshit tape for no reason, depending on like what they pursue and what they don't with how they are looking into and investigating this. Cause he basically is like, I want all of the information that you can give me about these men who died. And she's like, no. 
So she's like, I can give you the card of a real estate agent. Ellen Daniels, Barswell Consulting. Ms. Daniels, we called two lawyers and neither of them was you. They called me to consult on the press releases. My firm specializes in strategic risk management for firms around the city. Ah, you're a problem solver. And we have a mutual one, don't we? Do you know who this girl is? No. Well, one of your clients might, that's the point. Well, they're not going to open up to either one of us about it. Then they're putting themselves at risk. Yes, I understand that, but you see my hands are tied. None of these men are going to admit that they have a professional girlfriend. I can subpoena their financial records. Then I would have to file about a year's worth of injunctions to stall you. Now, who needs that kind of hassle? Ms. Daniels, this is not a game. I need a phone number. If not of this particular girl, then someone like her. Someone we can talk to. No escort will agree to sit down with the FBI. But I have something better for you. Assuming you might be willing to overlook certain legal niceties. Do you want to buy a house? No. Yes, you do. Prentice uh, and Reed get sent to a house. And they are very confused at first. But then Reed is like, you know what? Did you know that real estate and sex work are like the same? Um, I don't get it. I thought Hutch said we were going to meet a madam here. Actually, there's a lot of overlap between real estate and sex work. Uh, property is a safe and inspection-free investment for large sums of cash. Your brownstone used to be owned by a gigolo. Hello, you two. Uh, are you the business neighborhood is fabulous, and you're going to love this house. You two need lessons in faking it. I teach a class. And so a lady comes out and greets them, and she explains that she arranges the meetings between two consenting adults. However, she is not responsible for anything that happens between these adults after they meet, and she offers them scones. So this woman, who they're, the madame, knows about this unsub, and she's like, yeah, she's terrible for business. And she explains that her client list like the client list of a call girl is the most important thing. This unsub is working independently. She's not working with an agency or as a madame, as they put it. And Reed says they believe she's killing men who ask her to perform specific sexual acts. Although he says that a lot more bashfully than I am writing it right now. So the lady tells them what we all know, what we've all been thinking. And she's like, you know what? You're looking at this all wrong. Why would a man pay a woman five figures? This lady explains that what the men want besides no strings attached sex partner is a therapist. We see the unsub kill another guy. And again, this is before the sex actually takes place. Um, but this time she puts his body in a wheelie chair and wheels it into the elevator to be found. Uh, but he was, despite being killed in his office. Potch asks for all the records on the deceased. So the BAU goes over all of these records. And yeah, this, this guy who died was another fucking billionaire. Um, they noticed that all of these dearly departed had ex-wives and they were all holding out on the wives, not paying child support. Disgusting. It would be nothing for them to actually lose to pay that child support because they're, you know, obviously paying 10000 a pop for these call girls, but it's more of a pride thing that they don't want to send this money to their ex-wives and kids, which is disgusting. 
So the BAU realizes also that sharing this profile with the police probably won't do much good given how much tape is being put over these cases. So Hotch suggests that instead they present all of this information to the lawyers and colleagues of the dearly departed because they probably were also more likely to come across this unsub. A white woman between the ages of 25 and 30 who is paid between 10 and 15K a session. She is very well-versed in the world of money and privilege. Even though she is a call girl, she doesn't look like one. She could pass as a businesswoman or a coworker, to which Abigail writes, bro, what does this mean? Call girls look better than all of us, which I agree. Um, she is paid in cash, but she also may be getting paid in other ways, like a new car, medical bills, etc. Uh, probably did not grow up with a father figure and is turning that rage toward clients who walk out on their families. So a woman who is a lawyer of one of the deceased men says that she was filing paperwork for him And on this paperwork, there was stuff regarding a property. And she asked him what it was. And he kind of chuckled and said, it's for a friend. We cut and we now see another gross man sitting in the lobby of a fancy hotel or something. And we see our unsub come up to him and meet him. Uh, His name is Trent. It looks like it's basically a consultation between the two. And she explains. And she is so nice. Like, again amazing she's like basically this is how it operates like we're not going to do anything today we're just kind of getting to know each other we're going to go over what's you know expected um but that's it and he is like so awkward and she's like when did your wife pass away it's been a while since i've been out on a date (laughs) when did your wife die how did you know? I just do. She had ovarian cancer. Eight months ago. She... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Boy, this must really be sexy, huh? Trent. You are not going to say the wrong thing. Or scare me away. We see the FBI investigating the property that they learned belongs to her. So now we cut back and we see Trent telling the unsub that, you know, he's like, I almost didn't go to meet with um, you because the FBI has been telling us about this woman. And, um, you know, but don't worry about it because they found her penthouse. So, you know, we might not have to worry about that. And, the unsub is like, hey, Trent, do you want to get out of here? She's like, oh, really? Tell me about this woman. Yes. So the BAU is investigating her apartment. And while doing so, Prentice finds a purity ring in her jewelry. They also realize that she has, like, no personal information anywhere in the house because she's smart and methodical. The phone rings, and originally they want Prentice to answer it because, like, oh, they'll think it's, you know, we can learn who her clients are, you know, they'll think it's her. But instead, it rings and goes to voicemail. 
And so we hear her just go, Aaron, it's me. Aaron, I know you're up there. Pick up. Aaron Hotchner. Hello. I'm at a disadvantage. You seem to know my name, but I don't know yours. Can we start there? It's her. It's the unsub calling them. She grills him about whether or not he sees his kid. And he's like, I don't see him as much as I would like to. And she's like, I believe you. And I was like, oh, man, because I was like, is Hotch about to be her next victim? And we and we see her calling uh, on a cell phone from a car. And in the car, she's holding a gun up to Trent's head while there's tape over his mouth. I watched the presentation you gave on school shootings. Someone posted it on YouTube. For a moment, I actually thought there were still good people in the world. But I've disappointed you, haven't I? Just like all the other men in your life who've walked out on their families who deserve to be punished. Did you walk out on your family? No, my wife left me. Do you have kids? I have a son. How often do you see him? I try to see him every week. (laughs) Do you see him every week? No, I don't get there as often as I want. I believe you. But don't compare yourself to the men I see. She's like, you're just another whore. And Hotch is like, how am I a whore? And she's like, you come when you're called. You do their bidding. In hotels, you take the side elevator to avoid crowds. While the men you pay, the, who pay your salary walk across the ivory marble foyer into their cars. You're just another whore. How am I a whore? You come when called. You do their bidding. My guys seem to think they got the FBI in their pocket. In hotels, you take a side elevator to avoid crowds, while the men who pay your salary walk across the ivory marble foyer into their cars. I'm in on the landline, triangulating the cell. Give me like 60 seconds. But I'm just frustrating you, aren't I? (sighs) What do you mean? Well, you want to show the world all these bad men, and my investigation's just getting in your way. No, Aaron, you're not doing your job. And then she shoots him. (laughs) Trent, not Hotch. And I'm just like, bro, justice for Trent. Justice for Trent. Now we see the BAU like playing back and analyzing the phone call that happened between Hotch and uh, Lady Killa. Um, Reed talks about how her use of the word whore is interesting. And he's saying like, perhaps she's trying to distance herself from her actions. However, she's also changed her MO. So she went from poison to guns. And this has also changed in her victimology because Trent had been faithful to his wife until she died. Um, and they also didn't have any kids. So again, justice for Trent. Justice for Trent. Rossi brings up the purity ring that they found in her apartment. And they're like, perhaps it was her father. And perhaps... She bought her client list from another call girl who retired. Hotch and Rossi approach the lady from earlier who told them about the house, and they ask her who her clients sleep with, which she is very unpleased with, and she also does not cooperate, and Hotch bullies her again. Prentice goes to a home, we we don't know whose home this is, and asks for a Catherine. And Prentice says they want the name of the girl who bought her list. 
So Catherine cooperates and says that the girl who bought the list was named Megan Kane and confirms that Megan's father was one of her eight regulars and she was his call girl for six years. Megan's father left his wife, Megan's mother, for her. However, he, of course, married someone else because he can't just marry a call girl. Prentice is like, uh, weren't you surprised when Megan asked for your list and that she wanted to go on this career path? And Catherine's like, uh, Megan didn't want to be a call girl. She wanted me to go away, especially because, uh, I ruined her parents' marriage and her life. So back at the police office or wherever the BAU is holed up, uh, they regroup and share that Megan's parents divorced eight years ago And after that, she ended up traveling around the world and kind of fell off the grid for a while. And Hotch realizes that she is the girl he saw in the elevator. Hotch goes and meets with Megan's father, and he's like, um... The father's like, um, you have the wrong woman. Like, how dare you? And then... I, again, maybe I missed the lines that they took to get here, but he makes an appointment with a call girl and it's Megan. I I feel like he probably just calls her and wants to meet her, but it's like, it's very reminiscent of like him hiring a call girl because like there's a hotel room and like it's, the whole thing is like, I mean, they did it for a reason. Like it's supposed to feel like crossing that icky line. Yeah, but, like, Garcia has a line, and it's, like, a meeting with his daughter. Ew. So, I, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. Her father, Andrew, arrives at the appointment with Megan, and it is worth noting I that there are two champagne glasses again. And he gets angry and rushes toward her and starts to choke her, and she's like, that's what they told me you liked. The BAU is able to do deduce which hotel she is at she's at especially because she mentioned over the phone like ivory floors and they're like which hotel has ivory floors and back in the hotel room uh we see her dad being like i will protect you like turn yourself in and i'll post bail it'll be okay and she's like i'm scared like will you stay stay with me will you stay with me Because if the FBI finds it, they'll prosecute her for all four murders. So she gets up, telling him to wait, and goes to her bag. And in her bag, we see her pick up both a gun and then her phone. And she hesitates and then just hands him her Blackberry. He takes her phone and says, I'll see you at the police station. And then Hotch and Morgan enter her room and find her sitting on the balcony outside. And she just drained uh, a drink. And Morgan says he's going to call 911, and Hotch goes to talk with her. So she and Hotch talk, and she says that, like, you know, men always leave first. Like, she, like, quote, makes a quote about how they're like, you know, 
sex workers leave in the morning. And she's like, no, it's the men who always do. And in her hand, we see that she's also taken the SIM card out of the cell phone she gave her dad. And then Megan asks Hodge, how could your wife ever leave someone like you? You're the first man I ever met who didn't let me down. Will you stay with me? Promise? And he's like, promise, because again, she drained her drink. Um, And then we hear some news coverage of her father resigning in disgrace. And Megan dies in front of Hotch having drank the poison. And that is literally the end of the episode because there's no end quote for this one. Good fucking episode. It's so sad. It's so good. Should I do my deep dive? Yes. Okay, so I I did a deep dive on child support, which I know is like a little off the beaten path, but I was like, I feel like it's relevant. So uh, just some quick statistics. 84% of child support providers are men. Almost 50% of people who make child support payments are younger than 40. The medium income of a provider of child support is $42,000 a year. 76% of child support payments are due to court orders or child support agreements. And then I found this great article that I'm going to link from NPR, um, and it's called How America's Child Support System Failed to Keep Up with the Times by Maureen Powell. And she's talking to someone named Cynthia Osborne, the director of a child and family research partnership. So this is basically one big quote from Cynthia Osborne. In 1975, this system would try to ensure that after a divorce, we would try to replicate what the household looked like prior to the divorce with regards to the children's well-being. There were very few non-marital births at that time. During that time period, divorce was one of the single greatest predictors that a woman, especially a woman with children, would fall into poverty. The research indicated that fathers typically gained financially following a divorce, even though they were ordered to pay child support, and mothers typically lost financially. And so the child support system was hoping to try to offset that. Each state does it differently, but Texas will determine what a non-custodial parent's income is. If he says zero, well, there isn't zero child support. There will often be a presumption that he could be working full-time for a full year of at least minimum wage. So the judge will often set what's called a minimum wage order, and it's about $2.15 a month in Texas, which is about 20% of your net income. So here is a father who is now going to owe two fifteen a month plus fifty a month in medical support, and he did not disclose that he had any income at the time that he established those awards. It could be even worse, and this often happens that a man comes in, but his child is two years old. The judge could order at the time that not only does he owe two hundred each month, but he owes two hundred a month for those two years. A lot of men start off in the hole and they simply cannot dig themselves out. For some of these guys, having $5,000 in arrears, it would be a middle income person having, it would be like a middle income person having $50,000 in debt that they're supposed to somehow work their way out and it feels impossible. 
And for those reasons, there are proposals that say, let's set what we call right-sized orders that actually take into account what a person has the ability to pay when we establish these child support orders. This applies also to fathers who are incarcerated. We have a huge number of fathers who are incarcerated at some point in their child's life, but it has not been a material reason to alter your child support award amount. So that's another proposed change, that if you are incarcerated, that we modify the child support order in some way to reflect that you cannot earn money during this time. In Texas, the average arrears payment that a father owes who's being incarcerated is $8,000. When he comes out of high-level arrears, he's likely to enter into a formal labor market and have his wages garnished, so it just sends him back to the underground economy and the chances of recidivism and incarceration are really high. So then then the question is, ultimately, what's the purpose of child support? Um, and the state's incentives really are to set amounts that can be collected to make it look like they're actually reaching collection goals. But the performance measures at the federal level are based on the proposition that you collect based on the proportion that's established. So if we started with a 50-50 presumption, then the judge could work with the families to say, well, how do we get some form of equality working for you guys? If we really started with a presumption that we are jointly caring for our children, even though the parents are not married to each other, let's work out a system that seems fair in both the amount of time we're spending and the amount of resources we're spending. For our low-income guys who can't afford anything but the moms have to work, why don't they provide the child care? We're not ready to go that way with our families, but our families have changed so much that we need a system that starts to keep up with them in some way. So I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> oh, damn. I know. Anyways, <laughs> just some things to think about, guys. Welfare needs to be adjusted. But uh, Jen has a deep dive as well. Yeah, so on that note, um, let's talk about whores. My deep dive is on the etymology of the word whore. Um, Obviously, in the world today, whore is not a very nice word. It's typically used to describe someone, i.e. a woman who is sexually promiscuous or uses their body or compromises their principles for personal gain. However, the evolution of the word has a very dichotomous history, and it dates back to some of the world's oldest languages. So the word whore is a Germanic word. Before there was Germanic as we know it today, there was prehistoric common Germanic, which had the word oraz, which is H-O-R-A-Z, in the masculine, or eron, in the feminine, which is H-O-R-O-N, and its meaning was one who desires, though it eventually was used to describe an adulterer, um, because anybody who desires, obviously, is is bad, right? Um, which is the beginning of the word's negative connotation that it carries today. From Iran, the word in Old English became poor without the W, and in modern English, whore, which 
means we started using this word with the exact spelling and meaning uh, dating back to the 1500s. However, the root of the word can be traced back even further than the prehistoric Germanic to Indo-European. And so in Indo-European, this language used the root ka, K-A, which meant to like or desire, just like um, just like in common Germanic. And oras comes from a derivative of this root, uh, from the stem caro, K-A-R-O, which carried the same meaning. Um, the stem caro from the Indo-European family eventually produced the Latin word caris, which means deer, and the old Irish word cara, which means friend. Caris is derived into many English words that we would recognize today, such as caress, cherish, and charity, which in Christianity is the highest form of love, the greatest theological virtue. So the root of the word has led to many very meaningful words that we still use today, even the word whore itself, um, which has an offensive, vulgar term for many centuries now. So some attribute the longevity of the word to Shakespeare, which, if I recall, Abigail is a fan? Yes. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So they attribute the longevity of the word whore to Shakespeare because the playwright has used whore as a noun over 100 times, um, normalizing the word to describe sexual promiscuity, regardless of the woman's situation or status, i.e. not just referring to um, prostitutes or sex workers, but also describing like non-consensual sex acts being performed on the woman and even like a wife having sex with her husband. So basically any woman who isn't like a main character in Shakespeare or even some that our main characters are described as a whore regardless of them actually being promiscuous. So, yeah, so that's why they think horror has lived on for so long. Um, If people are interested in, like, more of, like, sexual terms and, like, their etymology, I highly recommend the Whores of Yore, or actually I think now she has the More Whores of Yore account on Instagram, where she, like, has a lot of, like... um, explanations of how words have evolved and also like talks about like slang from the Victorian area for penises and stuff. And sometimes it's quite funny. So definitely shout out to her. Yeah. So should we just give it a 100? (laughs) I think we could. Mm -hmm. I think we can. I think we should. Like if we wanted to get picky about some of the sexist stuff we could, but I think we've rated episodes that aren't as good higher so or at or equal to so i think we should give it a hundred all right y'all well thanks so much for listening to us um can follow us on some podcast on all of the things we do have a patreon five dollars a month gets you two bonus episodes right now we're doing uh mind hunter you can also if you want to donate uh one time you can 
can donate to our Kofi, and all of the links are in our show notes. And uh, you can follow me, yournewapartment.tumblr.com. Jen, where, where can people find you? Um, still at realsup.cm on Instagram, and I also have revamped uh, my, my podcast, Build Up in 30 Pod, and I do very brief, not nearly as in-depth as this podcast does. Yeah, like recaps and reviews or Yeah, and you're starting from season one and going all the way through. Yeah. Yep, we'll awesome. see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to be guests on it. That would be fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. Where can they find you, Abigail? Oh, shit. You can find me here <laughs> at the unsubs place. Uh, and then you can also find my uh, very dusty podcast between Facebook and Screen and all streaming services. And uh, the Instagram for that is Between Stage and Screen Podcast. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. 